Good morning, church, again. If you, if you have a Bible, please open it to uh, the book of Revelation. Last book of your Bible, please turn to the book of Revelation. Particularly, we're going to be in the fifth chapter of Revelation. In his important book, uh, Knowing God, uh, Jim Packer says the the study of God, who he is and what he's like is the most practical project anyone can engage in. Knowing about God is, is crucially important for the way we live our lives. He says, as it would be cruel uh, to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London to put him down without explanation of anything of England or the English language to fend for himself. Packer says, we are just as cruel to ourselves as we try to live in this world without knowing the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a, a strange, mad, and even painful place. And it's even disappointing and unpleasant for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to a, to a, to stumble and blunder throughout life, really blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of the day. This way, Packer says you can waste your life if you do this and really lose your soul. Church, let's be honest. We, we find ourselves in a strange, mad could be an adequate word, and yes, painful place. Uh, our streets are empty. Hospitals are crowded. Churches across the world not allowed to gather. We are isolated in our homes, many of you completely by yourself. The people of God will not be able to gather physically to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior on Easter morning. We will not be able to to sing of the resurrection together. And due to the fact we cannot physically gather together, we're not going to be taking communion together on Good Friday. I won't be able to hear the loud amens from John Pickering as I preach on the resurrection next week. Church, there are are many reasons to conclude this world is strange. This world is mad and it is a painful place for us now. And what's the, the, the remedy for this? The remedy is to, is to know God, to, to know Him better, to know Him deeper, and to know Him in a more realer sense. We need a fresh gaze upon the Lord. And I, I say that this morning, not just in agreement with some author named Jim Packer. I say that in agreement with the New Testament. I say that in agreement with the Lord Jesus. And I say that in agreement with the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written at a time when the church was suffering terribly for its faith in Jesus and more suffering was sure to come. The book's aim was to, is to help hurting Christians look beyond the strange, mad, painful realities of this world. To see the goodness, to see, to see God in all His goodness, glory, majesty and grace and by seeing that, be given strength to endure and to, to press on. So my aim this morning is straightforward. I want to provide us with a, a full and fresh glimpse of God and all that He has accomplished in His Son. Because the reality is, church, if we 
if we see God and if we know Him for who He is as revealed in our text this morning, we can endure. We will press on in the face of anything. So here is my what I hopefully want to show you from our text this morning in Revelation chapter 5. said, so Jesus Christ is the, the Lamb of God who reigns as the sovereign Lord of all because He purchased His people with His own blood. That Jesus Christ is the, the Lamb of God who reigns as the sovereign Lord of all because He purchased His people with His own blood. Blood. Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to read down through the end of verse 14. I, I would encourage you, in light of a, a reading of God's Word, especially a text with this much weight to it, to, to stand in your homes as I read. Chapter 5, verse 1, John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a, a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he, he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You may be seated. Let me pray. Father, guard our time, Lord, please. Guard the means in which this is taking place behind a camera to your people scattered. And Lord, Guard this means not to distract in any way. Not to distance in any way. But Lord, to bring us into a fresh look upon your Son. By your word, through your spirit, help us to see this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. As I mentioned, the, the book of Revelation is a, is a letter written to first century churches under attack in, in every way possible. Its primary focus is the overcoming of God's people through the, the victory of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. And it's, the book itself is organized around, uh, primarily around four key visions uh, given to the Apostle John. And it's at the heart of this twofold vision John receives here in chapters 4 and 5 this morning. And as John, as he gazes into heaven, he sees very importantly a throne, an essential image. The language of a, of a throne shows up over 40 times in the book of Revelation, leading some to even refer to Revelation as the throne book. And in chapter 4, John's vision focuses on God the Father and His act of creation. It ends with that great scene of praise in verse 11 of chapter 4. Look down at it. Where we read, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Chapter 5, however, focuses on God the Son and His act of redemption. And by these, these two great acts of creation and redemption, God really demonstrates His divine right to do as He wills with and over this world. Revelation is, in fact, the unfolding of human history according to God's divine prerogative. And the, the apex of God's plan for His creation is summed up in His Son and the redemption that He brings about. So I'm going to do something a bit different this morning. We're going to walk through this text, this text, and I really just have four key questions addressing our sight this morning as the people of God. And they're aimed at helping us see and in turn endure and press on as a body in this season. First question is this in verses, in verse one, do you see the sovereign Lord. So again, we begin with John's glimpse into heaven in verse 1 with a throne. But the focus here in chapter 5 now turns to what the one on the throne holds in his hand. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. The right hand represents the hand of authority. If you remember back to our study in Mark, you will recall the disciples asking Jesus if they could sit at his right hand when they entered his kingdom. So as John peers into heaven, he again sees a heavenly throne, but this time in the right hand of the one seated on the throne is a scroll with contents filling both sides. And this scroll, which becomes... The focus of the following chapters comprises God's foreordained plan for the future. Its content includes the entire course of human history leading up to the final consummation of God's kingdom. It contains the unfolding of God's great plan of redemption, including both the salvation and glorification of believers and the judgment and damnation of unbelievers. The trajectory of all human history, including your life and my life are written on this scroll. And here's the point, brothers and sisters, we must not miss. All of it, 
rest in the very palm of the right hand of our God. And it's bound with seven seals. Listen, I, there may be no more important image we need to digest as the people of God during this season than what's found in this text. Our God is sovereignly seated atop of his heavenly kingdom. And in the palm of his right hand exists the destiny of our lives. God is sovereign over it all. Nothing takes him by surprise. And nothing upsets his kingdom. He is securely seated over the universe as Lord of all. As the psalmist reminds us, our God is in the heaven and he does all that he pleases. Everything that happens, happens because he either directly causes it or consciously allows it. Nothing happens outside of this scroll. Nothing enters into history or could ever exist outside of history. It's not under his sovereign reign as Lord. If it was, he would not be God. He holds the destiny of our lives in the palm of his hands. Small thoughts of God never serve the people of God. God created all things. God sustains all things. God knows all things and God rules over all things. There is no time or place where his authority is ever cut short. So look, it, it matters honestly very little what you or I think about the coronavirus. But it matters eternally what we think about God's relationship to it. Nature and disease are not sovereign. Satan is not sovereign. And man most definitely is not sovereign. God alone is. Nothing happens apart from his divine permission. And God permits nothing without purpose. God has a plan for this pandemic. Now, I will not pretend to know the details of God's purpose in this moment of human history. But I know this. As Revelation chapter 5 verse 1 is the entire book of Revelation and the entire Bible teaches us God is never sleeping nor does he ever slumber in any moment. He is sovereignly reigning. It's a big thing to know God is bigger. Second question this morning. You see the sovereign Lord, but do you see our state before God apart from sin? Verses 2 through 4. In verse 2, a problem arises in heaven, at least for John. Look at it. Then I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? The angel steps forth with an announcement, really searching the recesses of heaven, seeking to find one worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Is there anyone worthy? He shouts. Is there anyone worthy to open this scroll containing God's great plan of redemption, involving the overcoming of our great enemy, the removal of our sin and guilt, the destruction of evil, the end of disease and sickness in this world? Is anyone worthy to open the scroll revealing the coming of God's kingdom for man and the final restoration of all things? Verse 3 says, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look 
into it. John's vision provides us not only a glimpse of the sovereign Lord, but it provides us a terrible revelation into the state of man before God apart from Christ. No one is worthy. As one author says, the silence of heaven speaks to the sinfulness of man. The, the language here is, perfect, is purposeful. No one in heaven, on earth, under the earth, meaning nobody, not one. And seeing this reality, John is he's terrified and he begins weeping. John's tears testify to what we know and what we see all throughout the pages of Scripture. The Bible is, is clear regarding our state before God apart from Christ. The Colossians 1.21 says we are alienated and hostile to God apart from Christ. Ephesians 2 declares us dead in our trespasses and sins apart from Christ. John 8.34 makes clear we are slaves to sin apart from Christ. 2 Timothy 2.26 speaks of us being under the snare of the devil apart from Christ. Mark 9.48 refers to hell, the destiny of sinners apart from Christ, as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 speaks of those who do not know God and, and do not obey His gospel as suffering the punishment of eternal destruction. Revelation 14.20 refers to sinners apart from Christ as being thrown into the winepress of God's wrath. There is only weeping outside of Jesus. Apart from Christ, we are utterly hopeless before God. Everyone, all of us, need to feel the weight of John's weeping here. Our destinies, apart from Christ, are dark. You know, by God's grace, this pandemic is forcing us to see something we typically are blind to. Every one of us have to swallow the fact of how little, how powerless we are. You and I and all of mankind are actually... Very, very small in God's economy with all of our modern technology and sophistication. A simple virus has put everyone on equal playing field. Humbled and brought to our knees. Life as we know it brought to a screeching halt. This pandemic is allowing us to have a more proper, I think, a more biblical view of ourselves. Because here's the truth we have to grapple with. Seeing God rightly, as I began with, and knowing Him truly for who He is and what He has done will not happen apart from us seeing ourselves accurately. And the sight of you and me before God, apart from Christ, is a terrorizing thing. We must not move too fast beyond this text. I know we know what's coming next. But we must sit and feel the fullness of John's tears here. Due to our sin, we are all miserably hopeless before God apart from Him. But praise be to God, this is not where the text ends. Where John's first, first glimpse, he sees the sovereign Lord now he sees the slaughtered lamb. So our third question is this. Do you see 
the slaughtered lamb. In verses 5 through 10. In verse 5, another echo bursts forth in the throne room of heaven. And this time it's a, it's a rebuke. John is told, stop crying. And instead, see or behold, look. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The elder here assures John that the one promised centuries ago has come. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the long-expected conqueror from Genesis 49, as Pastor Bob prayed, the one who the scepter will not depart from his right hand has come. The one promised to come forth from Judah to reign as king with authority, power, and might, he has come. And the root of David, risen, arisen from the pages of Jeremiah 23, has come. Where we read, Behold, the days are coming when I will raise up from David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. Now, as we noted last week in our concluding study in Nehemiah, we know that no one born has ever escaped the clutches of the enemy. The Old Testament is one long drama demonstrating this point. Every person, man and woman, has fallen prey to sin. From the greatest and mightiest to the least, all are born, all sin, all die due to sin. As Paul makes clear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one is worthy, which is exactly why John began weeping. But this weeping is now rebuked because in a small town of Bethlehem, another one was born. This man was like no other. He was not just any son. He was God's son. He did not fall prey to sin. He, in fact, ruled over sin. Instead of being enslaved to sin, Jesus defeated Satan. And he alone is worthy to open the scroll because he has conquered. He is the victorious one. He has triumphed and prevailed, verse 5 says. But how did he do this? And look, verse 6 brings us to the heart of the gospel. It's an explosion of two images which only find their real meaning in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the good news of what He has come. Look at it. As John turns his gaze, expecting to see a strong, conquering lion, he is confronted by a slaughtered lamb. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The lion conquers by way of a slaughtered lamb. Now we know this image of a lamb is a rich theme throughout redemptive history. Genesis 22.8, when Abraham took his son Isaac up on the mountain as a sacrifice, he declared, God himself will provide the lamb. Or in Exodus 12, the Israelites were commanded to kill an innocent lamb and spread its blood over the doorpost of their home as a covering for the angel of death. Here's the point. The people of God were saved from the judgment of God by the blood of a slaughtered innocent lamb. And then, as we already read, Isaiah would prophesy in the most amazing, detailed way concerning a son who would come like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. 
to be crushed by the sovereign will of his father for the sins of his people. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was cursed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we have been healed. And then in, and then in his gospel, the same apostle John in the gospel of John, declared these words as Jesus walked on the scene, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of this prophecy and all of this imagery comes to bear on verse 6 when John sees a Lamb standing as though it had been slain, speaking of His death and standing, speaking of His resurrection. Both words, slain and standing, are in the perfect tense, making clear the the permanence and ongoing effect of both. Jesus died. His body went went into the grave, but He rose to never die again. The slaughtered lamb has both endured death and defeated death. And this lamb is depicted as having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. Seven representing perfection all throughout the Bible. Horns depicting power and strength. Eyes represent wisdom and knowledge. The point being, this lamb is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, and all-present. John will not allow us to miss the magnitude of this lamb. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor Jimmy, it sounds like you're saying that Jesus is divine. This lamb is divine, which is exactly what I'm saying. Because without which, verse 7 would make no sense. Look at it. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Unbelievable. For if Jesus was not co-equal in glory and divinity with his father, then verse 7 would be high treason in heaven. Jesus walks up to the sovereign one seated on the throne, possessing the destiny of human history in his right hand, and he snatches it from his clutches. And then he receives the same worship as his father. Look down at verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Do you see? That's the question. The slaughtered lamb reigns as the sovereign Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. Salvation comes through sacrifice. Glory comes through humility. Victory is brought about by seeming defeat. The lion conquers through the slaughtering of an innocent lamb. In church, this is where we must think biblically regarding our current moment. We must think as a gospel people. The gospel teaches us that God rules and reigns, that He brings about the victory of His kingdom through the suffering of His Son. The slaughtered lamb reigns as the sovereign Lord. Now, think of the encouragement and hope this image here, this vision here, this reality here, must have provided the persecuted church for whom John is writing. They are suffering. They are experiencing defeat. 
But when they look to Jesus, the slaughtered lamb at the center of the throne, they know that their suffering and apparent uh, defeat will lead to victory in him. This is the economy of God's heaven. This is the gospel that God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, would come down and take upon humanity like you and me. That he would live this life innocently, without sin. And then he would die a death that we deserve for our sins. Bearing our sin upon himself as a substitute for us. And by his death and through his resurrection demonstrate that he is the sovereign Lord. The one possessing power over death itself. The one worthy to open the scroll. Our victory, our Aim is found through the Lord Jesus. Do you see the slaughtered lamb? Suffering, in fact, if we can call what we're in right now. The difficulty that we're in right now. We'll leave it there. The, the uncertainty of where we are. The difficulty. The, the reality that makes us turn away from ourselves and recognize how small we are and how needful we are allows us not to, to distance ourselves from God, but to relate to Christ even better. To know him deeper and to understand the true victory of the gospel all the more. Next question. So do you see the sovereign Lord? Do you see our our state before God apart from Christ? Do you see the slaughtered lamb? And next, do you see the center of our praise? Now without missing a beat, look at verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a, a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Now, it's imperative we not miss the connection between verse 5 and verse 9. The angel asked the question in verse 2, who is worthy to open the scroll? And verse 5 states, Jesus is worthy. He is able. He possesses the ability to open the scroll because he was slain. But now in verse 9, we learn exactly what his death accomplished. Verse 9 states, For you were slain, slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed, you purchased, you bought back people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. But what in fact did he purchase us from? The book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says very clearly, tells us the Lamb, Jesus Christ, freed us from our sin by his blood. We were ransomed from sin by the blood of the Lamb. The the liberating price of the blood of the Lamb set us free from our sins. The payment necessary was a payment for sin. And this payment came about by by the death of the Lamb of God. Jesus died to pay the penalty due you and I for our sins. And by so doing, He freed us from the bondage of sin. But notice the particularity of the language here. Who did Christ purchase by His blood? 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and open it sealed for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Notice the language. It doesn't say he ransomed every tribe, every language, every people and every nation. Nor that he ransomed all the people in every tribe, language, people and nation. The language is specific. He purchased people from every tribe, language and people. In other words, the slaughtered lamb spilled his blood to purchase a people for God from amongst all the nations. Christ's atoning work is both global and definite. He died not simply to make atonement possible for people. He did more than that. He's, he, no, his, by his blood, he ransomed people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And for what purpose? The Lamb has purchased a people for God. Due to our sin, we were not God's people. We were aliens, rebels, enemies towards God. We were enslaved to our sin. But now through Christ's atoning work, we are citizens of his kingdom. We are in fact priests before God, meant to rule and reign for his kingdom's sake. Do you see the center of our praise? It's the lamb that was slain. He alone is worthy. For he alone possesses the power to purchase us from our sin. True worship stems from proper sight. If we were, when we all gather together again, I'll say it that way. We were together on Sunday morning at the Hill Church and the governor of our state walked in. It would be appropriate for us to stand in in honor of his office, whether we agree with his politics or not. And if the the president of the United States were to walk in, it would be right both to stand and applaud, irregardless of his politics and what we believe about that. But if the Lord Jesus, the lamb who was slain, suddenly walked in, to stand would be improper. And to stand and applaud would be out of place, out of question. In light of who he is and what he has done, the only rightful response is to do what we see in verse 8 and then again repeat it in verse 14. They fell and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Every one of us must fall down before Jesus this morning. Because every one of us will fall down before Jesus one day. Philippians chapter 2 says that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the glory of the Lord Jesus. That can be a, a reverent bow in worship or a buckling of the knees in judgment. But all will bow. So for some of you, Bowing means you need to accept Jesus this morning as your Lord and Savior. You cannot truly worship Jesus until you've tasted of His redemption. It's a question for you. Are you part of God's people? Have you received His redemption? Has He purchased you with His own blood? And you say, how do I know that? 
Have you embraced the gospel? Have you seen his glory as the sovereign creator of all things? Do you believe in his authority and rule and reign over your life? Do you see your terrible state before him in your sin? You cannot escape this God. But the question I hope you see this morning is, why would you ever want to? He is the the lamb who has been slaughtered on your behalf. Jesus came and lived the life you should have lived. And then as an act of sheer love, this innocent one, this lamb, laid down his life for us in in our place on the cross. He is the sacrificial lamb for our sins. He spilled his blood to purchase us back. And he rose, demonstrating he alone possesses the power to purchase our redemption. He is the sovereign Lord. Do you see him? Do you want to know and worship him is the question. And lay your life down this morning at his feet. There can only be one on the throne. It can't be you. It must be him. You must step down and allow him the proper place of your life. Do you see him as worthy this morning? That's the question. It's the question of this text. Is he worthy? If so, you proclaim that. You confess that. By repenting of your sins, confessing your sin and need for Him, which He already knows, and cry out for His mercy and forgiveness in Christ this morning. And you can do that from the recesses of your home, from wherever you are this morning. It's a, it's a simple, deep, profound expression from the will. God, I am a sinner I am hopeless and helpless before you. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of trying to be God. And plead on behalf of Christ for His grace and His mercy which is offered to you this morning. And you can receive Him as Lord and Savior. Church, do we see Him as worthy this morning? Do we see the sovereign Lord? Do we see our state before God apart from Christ? Do we see the the slaughtered lamb? And do we see the center of our praise? The one who possesses the power to purchase our redemption is, is our God and our King and our Savior. If so, we too must bow before the lamb this morning. For he alone is worthy. Hill Church, I want to give us three questions. I'm not going to go into them in detail here, but I I want you to jot them down and we'll be discussing them this week in in our community groups and then just amongst us as a body. Maybe it's even something you want to start discussing at lunch with your family. But when we consider the question, is he worthy? Does our life reflect the fact that worthy is the Lamb? Here's three questions. Corporately, church, is our view of God big enough? Is our view of God big enough? 
Search the recesses of your heart. Think through your reactions, your emotions, all that's been going on in your life over the last couple of weeks and ask the question, is your view of God big enough? Secondly, is your knowledge of yourself accurate enough? Church, is our knowledge of ourselves accurate enough? Where has pride risen up? Where has selfish ambition and wrong thinking about ourselves risen up? Where have we started to climb the stairs to get up top of the throne again that only belongs to God? Do we see ourselves accurate enough? And then lastly, is our worship of Jesus high enough? The third question comes from the other two. If you see the, the bigness, the greatness, the sovereignty of God and the smallness, the sinfulness, the hopelessness of yourself apart from Christ, and now you know that you stand redeemed and saved by the blood of the Lamb, then the question is, is our worship of Jesus high enough? How can we lift our affections, even in this season, in the heart of our worship, to make it even higher unto the Lord Jesus? Church, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who reigns as the sovereign Lord of all because He purchased His people with His own blood. If you're watching this today, if you're tuning in and you responded to the Lord Jesus today, you want to know more about responding to the Lord Jesus today, or you're a member of the Hill Church and you have prayer requests and you specifically want to respond through this text in a specific way today, on our website, under our Sunday Rhythm, there's a button there that says connect, click on it, fill out, I'll be sure to follow up with you and we can talk more about what is your next step with Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for who you are. Lord, and this morning, Lord, use my feeble, small attempt to point people to the glory of your great name in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we see this morning the riches of who you are and the sending of your son and the slaughtering of the lamb on our behalf and the purchasing of your people from all nations, all languages. And Lord, we see the, the benefits of what it means to be the people of God. That we get to rule and reign as your people. And we get to worship you Lay our lives down at your feet. Lord, as we, uh, my prayer is that as we're in this season with so many uncertainties and we have so many things to be upset about and stressed about and we have so many things to distract our eyes away from you. Lord, I pray you would give us a new, a new glance at you, a new glimpse at you to see you in all of your glory, all of your majesty. And we might be able to understand and put into place in our minds all that's taking shape around us and understand that you're still ruling, you're still reigning, you're still accomplishing your purposes through your Son who was slain on our behalf. Lord, guard us as a church this week. Keep us, grow our affections in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.